The sensational Sharp Home Entertainment Sale at the Wiz. Every Sharp VCR, rack system, portable microwave, and TV is on sale during the sharpest Columbus Week sale ever. Nobody beats the Wiz on this Sharp VHS VCR with wireless remote unreal at $288. On the Sharp high-tech 19-inch color TV with remote unstoppable at $299. On the Sharp AM FM cassette breakaway, unbelievable at $47. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. The Sharp Columbus Week Sale now at all 11 Wiz stores. to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Quit, quit, quit. Small three banana. Hey, Faye Plow, please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. Their defense is atrocious. Atrocious. I'm the rock star. Right on the cowboy. People, Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. We love China. We love no playing there. Oh, man. I'm sorry. It's just hitting me right now. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? All right. We are back. Ben Craw, we have survived Christmas. We have uh, <laughs> cleansed right. our palate, and it is now time to. Boy, get back have to we ever! Way. Yeah, man. Yes. How are you doing? Yeah. Ready to get back to some basketball? Oh man, I can't. I can't wait. Uh, I hope. I hope that was a sufficient palate cleanse for our, for all of us. Um, yeah. I think. I think it was necessary. I am feeling rested. I am mm-hmm. feeling recovered. Rejuvenated, uh, re um, reincarnated, perhaps even <laughs> after after that experience. Yeah. Um, so let us move on. Let yes. us progress. Ben, real quick here, I want to shout out to all of our listeners around the globe. Ben, we recently changed up our hosting platform on the podcast, and our analytics now allow us to look at um, downloads by geography. So we want to quickly shout out, say hey to our friends in. Perth, in Melbourne, in France, in Germany, in Portugal, in the UK, in Ireland, in Spain, in Canada. If you guys are listening, drop us a line. Uh, We'd love to hear from you, and we appreciate you listening. So what is up to our friends around the world? We are... uh, we can't believe you're real, but uh, we appreciate <laughs> you listening wherever you are. You may be bots, but I uh, choose to believe that uh, we are a worldwide phenomenon That's here, right. Chris, That's right. uh, providing entertainment and education to uh, to people literally all over the world. Um, which, of course, was our uh, you know our, our humble ambition Always when we the began plan. this project. That's you right. Know, That's right. Global domination. All right, Ben. Today we are moving on to a new playoff series from 1994. We have progressed here. We covered uh, the last four episodes, or the 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 four episodes before Surviving Christmas. We covered the Knicks and the Chicago Bulls in the semifinals. We are now onto the Eastern Conference Finals of the 1994 right. playoffs. This is the New York Knicks and the Indiana Pacers. Um, I'm fired up, man. We are here in game one. The date is May 24th. We are at Madison Square Garden. We're uh, broadcasting this game today on TNT Sports. Our old friends Ron Thulin and Hubie Brown. Um, any opening thoughts you want to share? Big picture stuff, Ben, on, uh, on Knicks Pacers game one. Um, boy, there, there's a lot to unpack here, yeah. obviously. Um, I mean, we're gonna, just going to have to do it sure. uh, step by step here. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, after it's funny. Do you, rem- do you like think like thinking back, do you remember sort of how you felt going into this series? Because it almost felt like the previous series was, a, a climax of sorts, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, after yeah. vanquishing our, our longtime rival Chicago Bulls, um, 
you know, in seven games, uh, a very, very emotional, uh, you know, tor- just tortuous um, seven game series. Um, you know, it, it sort of felt like, like, I didn't really know that much about this Indiana team. I mean, right. I, obviously, the Knicks had played them in the previous playoffs in 93, dispatched them pretty easily, I believe, in the first round uh, in four games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, of course, that series included the infamous uh, John Starks headbutt on Reggie Miller. Um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, they lost in the first round. Uh, Indiana, uh, New York beat Indiana in the first round, uh, 3-1 in 1993. Um, the Pacers were, uh, let's see, they finished the 93-94 season 47-35. and So they weren't even a 50-win team. Right. Um, they were... So the Pacers were a five seed, yeah. Yeah, the Pacers were a five seed. Um, they swept the Magic in the first round, and then they upset the number one seed Atlanta Hawks in the uh, in the Eastern Conference semifinals, the same uh, round that the Bulls played the Knicks. Um, so that was like a kind of a, a you know a pretty big upset. I mean, the Hawks weren't like a, a powerhouse by any means. You know, that was right. the Danny Manning, Mookie Blaylock, uh, Kevin Willis team. Um, but um, yeah, like I I guess I sort of went into it like without like a lot of really heavy sort of emotional right. feelings toward the Pacers yet. I would say there um, are definite sort of, um, you know, it's interesting. We, this rivalry uh, really sort of grew over the course of the decade of the 90s. Um, oh, yeah. And I think at this point it was still sort of in the infant stages, but it was really ratcheting, was really ratcheting up. Um, yeah. But there was. Definite... I mean, this series would would obviously be the yeah. the cauldron, yes. uh, uh, you know, through, through in which Absolutely. the the rivalry kind of uh, you know blossomed. Absolutely, and if you things know, can blossom in a cauldron, we sort of <laughs> we yeah we sort of you know. Uh, would come to expect these two teams to play each other every springtime, you know, in the in the way that the Knicks, you just expected the Knicks to play the Heat, you expected the Knicks to play the Pacers, you expected the Knicks and the Bulls to have a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. But it was really, like you said, in this 94 series where things kind of took off. But there was, I would say, kind of a big brother, little brother vibe about this series, in, in my humble opinion, where mm-hmm. it did feel like the teams were so similar and, you know, you had the big city team, the big city marquee team, New York, the Knicks, against this, like, small town kind of middle America lunch pail squad, the Indiana Pacers. And there mm-hmm. did seem to be an attitude and a chippiness about it from, like, a, a, a almost like a personality dynamic standpoint that mm-hmm. really made the series very fun and very interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, Hubie Brown in the pregame said... Oh, this series is going to be won at the forwards. Now, when you look at the power position, it's the lunch pail battle. Charles Oakley averaging 12 rebounds during playoff time versus Dale Davis, who's averaging 11. This is for all the lunch pail guys. Hubie now, expecting mm-hmm. a big series from his quote-unquote lunch pail guys, Dale oh, and yeah. Antonio he, Davis. Yeah, he mentions lunch pail uh, no fewer than two times in the yep. pregame introduction, Chris. Yeah, he says, when you look at the power position, it's the lunch pail battle. And then a few seconds later, he says, this is for all the lunch pail guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To which I respond, boy yoing <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. You, I mean, are, uh, you are talking to me, Hubie. Yeah, it's funny. Ron Thulin says throughout the course of the game, um, you, know, he, you know, he's pulling up stats. Throughout the course of the game, Thulin uh, just refers to Dale and Antonio Davis as, as the forwards. 
He just prefers mm-hmm. to uh, the Indiana those two players for Indiana as the forwards. And there's no doubt who you know who we're talking about. It's obviously Dale and Antonio Davis. Um, yeah, those guys are basically interchangeable. They are the same person. Yep. They are they are twins. They are brothers, as yes. we've established uh, on previous podcasts. Yes. Um, twin bodyguards. Yeah. Yes. Twin bodyguards. Um, and it's funny, like actually going back and watching this game, like it wasn't. Ju- we didn't just like this wasn't like a, a figment of our imagination, Chris. Like they repeatedly refer to these guys as the Davis boys. Boys. Like the Davis boys. The Davis. The Davis boys were a thing. Yes. Like that. We didn't just make that up. No, like, that, that was completely. The, I, yeah. I, I was like, did did we just invent like a wrestling tag team? With like, <laughs> did we confuse them with like no. a, like a tag team match that we would always watch? No, that was really how they were branded by the NBA. Was the Davis boys um and it's yeah. perfect and they were a tag team absolutely they, yeah that's absolutely who they were they were interchangeable the same player i think yeah. they wore the same number um they were just yep. impossible impossible on the low block and so they are going to be a big theme i feel like as we talk about this series and unpack the series in terms of what indiana throws at the knicks um and again any other big picture thoughts um i'll throw one out there uh, ben is um you know larry brown man i forgot how much i hated larry brown yeah that um, guy sucked yeah totally sucked it's funny man yeah like, pat pat Fucking riley asshole. versus phil <laughs> pat riley versus phil jackson was epic and now here we have we have riley versus larry brown and it just feels so gross man there is something about larry brown with hair yeah. specifically Ugh. larry brown with hair this is pre-bald larry brown this is yeah. pre-pistons larry brown pre-sixers larry brown Somehow that hair makes him very creepier. It makes him creepier, yeah. does it not? Like there, yeah, there is I was like gonna a say, weird vibe. Yeah, somehow the hair makes him seem like nerdier, creepier, dweebier. Um, yes, like a very yeah, like like a I don't know, like like a kind of quiet uncle that like ends up being like a serial killer or like having say, some like, like very weird like fetish. Yeah, yeah they're possibly like pedophile vibes, ve- murderer yep, vibes. De- There's something definitely. weird. Pedophilia is definitely on the table. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. yeah, maybe like some some like recreational cannibalism. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. God. Like I'm just, uh, you know, who who knows with Larry what what yep. he's got in that basement. Yep. Um, you know what kind of things he he gets up to in the privacy of his own home. Absolutely. Frankly, I don't want to think about it. I don't. You know, it's going to give me nightmares. <laughs> um, but yeah, could not agree. Could not agree more about Larry Brown. Yeah. Um, and, with hair. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, and then one last overarching thing, man. Uh, we'll we'll get into the specifics of him, his performance in this game. Um, maybe kind of a deep cut here, but Greg Anthony, man. He, so he has a really strong game one here, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. some of the specifics. But just thinking about his role in the Chicago series, and then and then now rewatching the game. I wish we had more of this guy, to be honest. Like, he, he gets hot. He was from, a junkyard dog. Yeah, man. He was a very little, scrappy junkyard dog. In the course of the game, he gets hot from three. He gets hot, he gets hot from three throughout this playoff run. Um, mm-hmm. And just thinking back on his tenure with the Knicks, I just wish we had more of him. I, I, I you know, I kind of remember him for being this, like, ultra scrappy player. But I don't think I remembered or really understood fully, like, how good he was. Uh, like, how, yeah. how, how dynamic he was. Um, so what, what? I mean, again, as as with every other Nick point guard from that era, he was just inconsistent. So he yeah. would have these flashes where you were like, "Oh my God, yeah! Like this is our guy. Like he's totally our right. leader. Uh, right. You know, our our our, uh, our our floor general." Right. And then he would just kind of like disappear. His three point shot would would uh you know would fail him, and and um and then you'd just be like, "What happened to him?" Yeah, very very frustrating up and down. But man, when he was when he was good, he was he was awesome. 
any other big picture stuff from you as uh, we get ready to talk about quarter one here? Well, just one more point about that uh, that kind of underdog mentality that the Pacers had. I mentioned that their yep. record that year was 47 and 35. Uh, that was their best record of their uh, of their franchise up to that point. Um, they had never really, you know, done anything. I th- I'm pretty sure that it was the first time they'd been in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this was like, you know, a team that had really never seen, obviously they came from the ABA, uh, in, you know, in that, in the merger back in 1976. Um, and really up until this point, the team had never made any real noise, uh, in the league. So this was really kind of like, not just the beginning of the Pacers Knicks rivalry, but it was like sort of their arrival on like a national stage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very, um, kind of stark uh, foils here. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, are you ready to hop into quarter number one? Let's fucking do it. Okay. You know, the first thing I, I jotted down on my notes just made me laugh, man. Reggie Miller draws a technical foul on Oakley. Yeah. After the yeah. opening after the opening basket of the game. Miller starts right here. We all know about the infamous in game three last year. Now we've got Jake O'Donnell blowing a whistle. And maybe a delay of game warning, or is it a foul? No, it's a yeah, forearm technical, and a technical foul, foul. Charles Oakley. Incredibly, man. It's the ultimate flop move. You can't make this shit up. And yeah. it just is like, and, you know, I just forgot. I forgot. I forgot how much I hated this guy. I forgot the shit that he would pull. He was such an incredible player, and I have so much respect for him, kind of in the in the way that I did for Pippen. Um, and, and just re-watching this, you know, I was reminded of that. But God damn it, this guy was a thorn in our side. He was so annoying, always pulling the like most like sleazy shit like that. Um, <laughs> so underneath the basket, you know, he he makes he makes uh, he drives to the basket for a really nice uh, opening layup. And as he's yeah. running towards the opposite ends of the court, Oakley like nudges him a little bit, and Reggie just flops. I mean, just yeah. embellishes beyond belief and draws the o- Oakley's. Yeah, Oakley's collecting the ball under the hoop, and Miller is right there after taking Starks off the dribble for, you know, this is the very first position of the game, um, and Stark, uh, Miller goes right at Starks. Um, you know, of course, Ron Thulin uh, notes uh, their, their, you know, their their history with the headbutt uh, from, from Starks, uh, the previous playoff, uh, you know, 93, mm. um, and... Um, and right off the bat, Miller takes it at Starks. Um, yeah, and then Oakley collecting the ball under the basket, following the layup. You know, just throws like a little forearm, like kind of up into his face, just like a little, a little message. <laughs> Miller, Miller, like practically like falls into the stands, arms flailing wildly. Yep. You know, yep. immediately looks to the ref. Did you see what he did to me? <laughs> um, and like I, yeah, we've I've been we've been texting about this ever since we we started watching this game or rewatching it. The the feeling, the pure visceral feeling of hatred for Reggie Miller, you know, it was something that had, um, you know, as as with all memories and and sort of sensations, they they dissipate over time. Chris, they, you know, uh, 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 time lessens the the impact, lessens the heals wounds. Yeah, exactly. All those things. I knew in my head that I hated Reggie Miller. <laughs> But I had not, not like actually experienced that feeling 
um, you know, since, I don't know, 1999, 2000, whatever, like the last time I, I really sort of watched him, him play towards the end of his career. But I mean, it was certainly like not really this intense, intensely uh, uh, since, you know, 94 and, and 95, of course, which is a whole other story. But, um, but yeah, man, like, like, like feeling that hatred, like rushing back into my heart, like a, like a drug, like coursing through my veins, um, was really uh, an incredible sensation, and boy, I mean, this we we're gonna be. This is gonna be obviously a running theme yep. of this entire yep. uh, series. But Reggie Miller, um, yeah, he he made me feel honestly like no other NBA player in history. Yes. Um, we've we've both agreed um, that we hated him more than Michael Jordan, absolutely, um, which is really saying something because Jordan, uh, you know, obviously gave our team a lot of. A lot of heartbreak, um, but we hated him more than Jordan. We hated him more than Pippen. We hated him more than Alonzo yep. Mourning, Tim Hardaway. Yep. Um, there was no one, no one really anywhere near this man in terms of the pure, visceral hate, the hate that I felt. And I have no problem <laughs> using that word, Chris. It was hate. Yeah. It wasn't a, I mean, we, a childhood, we you're, on, you're, this guy. you're on the other team, I don't like you, I'm rooting against you. No, 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 no. No, this was hate. Yeah. It was a very ugly thing to feel, but we felt it. Um, and <laughs> I can't then, say I'm proud of, of the <laughs> fact that I that I succumbed uh, so so fully, so thoroughly to this emotion. You know, if, if I had more power over my sure. my feelings, more control, more control of my emotions, I would choose otherwise. But I, d- I d- did not have that control, and I don't. No. I still to this day I do not have it. You're not unlike Brian from Surviving Christmas. You succumb to your demons. <laughs> succumb to your hate and um yeah great, no, great call great call back. um no so uh, yeah i mean uh, spoiler alert here uh reggie doesn't have the greatest game here in game one he doesn't um no. and but something i want to kind of tease out over the course of this series which again spoiler alert it's going to be a long series folks so buckle up yeah. you're in for the yeah. long haul here with the knicks and the pacers on on the podcast but um you know something i want to tease out over the course of the series is like why? Why is it? And what was it about Reggie that we hated so much? Um, let's not try to solve that here today, especially because he, yeah, he, didn't, that's have, gonna be... he didn't have the greatest game. So this is probably yeah. not the best uh, game to sort of examine and talk about this. But let's put mm-hmm. a pin in that. Why much like our Reggie so much? Yeah, much like our, our question of whether or not uh, Ben, uh, you, you know, um, yeah. Drew Drew is the villain or the hero of Surviving sure. Christmas, and and sure. what is he addicted to? Right. Um, it's a question that we're really not going to be able to answer fully until I think the end of yeah. our uh, of the process here. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, fun exercise might be assigning. Yeah. Uh, Pacer players, their comp in Surviving Christmas. <laughs> who is our Duda? Who is our Christine? Who who is our Alicia? Who is who is our uh, you know who is our Mr. Valco? Um, yeah, who, yeah. Who is our Drew? Yeah, all of it. Right. Um, who who is our Duda understudy? Yeah, all those sure, questions. Sure, sure. Well, I might have a yeah. I might have a Duda understudy. The big difference between having Vern Fleming start for you, Vern Fleming, against he would. Workman is the fact that Vern Fleming for years is a proven scorer in this league. In his first nine years, he shot over 50% seven times. He's an excellent foul shooter. He's a proven scorer. But what you lose is the playmaking and the assist. Who the fuck is this guy? 
Ben, I, he's starting in place of Hayward Workman, yeah. who I guess was out with a heel issue. Is that is yeah? That Workman had Workman was? has an injured. He has an injured arch, so he's mm. still playing. Right. Um, and playing like pretty heavy minutes, but he's not starting. They're just we like have Vern Fleming okay. starting in his place for game one. Yeah, Vern Fleming. Uh, man, what a name that um, I. I uh, you know, always like stuck in my head for some reason. I'm not sure why, but just the name Vern Fleming. Admittedly, very, like, I did not remember this guy. And when I saw that he was in the starting lineup playing this game, I was like, who is this guy? Is this a joke? But hey, man, hats off. He had a great game. And yeah, we'll, he, had, we'll, he had a little skill. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about some of his big moments in the third and fourth quarter. But Vern, Fle- Vern Fleming played really well. I, a name, admittedly, I did not remember before uh, rewatching this game. You know, it's funny. I had I, I remembered all of these names very, very clearly, except for one. Um, mm. And for him, I had a complete, complete blank spot in my memory. And I was very confused by that because this is stuff that, you know, I've had lodged in my brain like yeah. very firmly um, okay. for, you know, 26 years now. But we'll, we'll get to that. Okay, um, great. All right. Well, let's keep the uh, train moving here. So I have Patrick. I noted Patrick uh, picks up the foul and the technical foul getting post position yeah. on Smith's. Um, yeah, right off the bat, we've got two technicals on the Knicks in the first minute of the game. Oh, boy, and just generally, I have in my notes, the Knicks look sloppy here in the early goings. Um, mm-hmm. They just they can't get a basket early. Uh, Pacers are up 7 nothing, and the Knicks look frustrated. You know, the Pacers are getting under their skin. This is now two, as you said, two early technical fouls on the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one on Oakley, and then one here on Ewing. Yeah, they go up 8-0, actually, after Miller drills another technical. Um, of course, Reggie Miller, one of the things, uh, y- you know, again, we'll, we'll sort of chip away at this, but one of the things that I hated about him, uh, Chris, is that he was an incredibly fucking good foul shooter. Um, yeah. So every time there was a technical foul, he would be the guy to, um, you know, to, to take it, uh, to take the free throw. Of course, you know, he was an, uh, a master at drawing fouls, very, very proto James Hardeny in yeah. that way, um, and yeah, the guy would just break your break your back. With the, with he would just you know calmly step to the line, swish free throw after free throw, uh, as you sat and seethed in your chair. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, he was uh, like honestly just like watching him like swish a technical foul. I was just like ah fuck you, <laughs> like <Yep. laughs> like literally first minute and a half of the series. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, again, another big picture thought. Let's stick a pin in it. But, you know, again, it's just so fun rewatching these old legends and guys like Scottie Pippen here with Reggie Miller wondering how they would work in today's NBA. And I have no doubt, zero doubt whatsoever, Reggie Miller would be absolutely great playing in today's NBA. Oh, yeah. Ben, like, I mean, he was a, he was like a tall Steph Curry, basically. I was basically I mean, you gonna know. ask, like, first of all, he's taller than I remember, much taller than yeah, I remember. And I was very ask, very tall and lanky. Does yeah. he remind you of anyone in today's NBA? Steph Curry is a great name. I, I I haven't come up with a name myself. Again, this probably isn't the best game to sort of wonder about this question because he doesn't have like he, he doesn't play the best version of his game today but just something mm-hmm. to put a pin in and wonder is and I, I really like tall Steph Curry a lot but he just has these long arms uh really long gangly arms incredible incredible sharpshooter and uh my god what what a, what a player he is so um <sighs> yeah, oh, yeah a thorn in our side for sure all right so uh Knicks looking sloppy Oakley hits the first uh shot of the game for the Knicks nice looking it's finally in it. Eight to two. Pacers are up. Harper's bearing three. Harper from the yard. Bangs the three. 
Harper makes another one. Harper at the two, knocks it home. Now it's 10 to 7. He, he, he hits one three, and then the next one he hits is not a three, Chris. It's a foot on the line two. Insane. The, 19, the, the 1994 specialty, the foot on the line two. Every time this happened, I wrote it in all caps in my notes. And, uh, yeah, let's just say it would not be the only foot on the line two of the game. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, dude. Some, some, a, fun, a fun little thing to keep track of is the foot on the line twos. Ben, did centers just look more massive and intimidating back in the day? I don't know. I, I was looking at Rick Smith's, and I'm like, this guy. Well, Rick Smith's was seven foot four, so. The guy yeah, he, is I mean, absolute I wouldn't call giraffe. him intimidating, but, but yeah, he was, he was big. He was huge. And, you know. It's funny to me also that Hubie refers to Smiths as the Pacers' offensive center, as opposed yeah. to and as opposed to Anton, Antonio Davis, who is the backup defensive five. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's just funny to imagine that, like the the idea that there's an offensive and defensive center, um, mm-hmm. because you know nowadays, like who could there there aren't NBA teams that keep like multiple seven footers on their roster. Right. Of course you can't, you can't just have one of those things. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was a time of unitaskers and, uh, yeah, Smith's really was that man. He was not a defensive presence at all, which is, um, pretty remarkable considering he was seven feet, four inches tall. Just looks Um, so big. Maybe it's the standard definition. I don't don't know. It really just jumped at me. Like the length of his legs, like he just had these insanely long giraffe legs. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was one of those guys too, that really like, I didn't watch, um, uh, y- y- I'm trying to think like I guess like back as like a 10 11 year old like he he captured my imagination in a way because I didn't watch that much Utah Jazz basketball so I didn't get to see Mark Eaton very much on my TV yeah so seeing Smiths as like the tallest player that I ever you know really sort of watched uh closely like there was something very like like childhood imagination capturing yep. uh, uh just about his sheer size yep. um but uh, yeah, not a not a strong shot blocker. Never averaged more than like I don't know, like a block and a half a game. I don't think he ever averaged uh, double digit rebounds uh, mm-hmm. once in his career. Um, so I would say yeah, kind of a softy, kind of a you know a little bit of a baby, a very large baby, <laughs> large baby. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking through his uh, basketball reference here. Yeah, his highest rebounding season was seven point seven. And his wow. highest block season was uh, 2.1 his second year uh, in the league. And other than that, he never averaged over a block and a half a game. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But very gifted offensively, as we will see. All right. Oakley drains a jumper, ties us at 13 all. Oh, interestingly, Antonio Davis on the foul line, and Hubie brings this up. He says, now, what a fine this young man has been. Spent the last three years overseas. They gave him a two-year guaranteed contract to get him to come back. They drafted him on the second round out of UTEP four seasons ago. He has stepped in. He played in the rookie All-Star game. Now you're talking about 6'9", 235, 240 pounds, who plays backup power forward or backup center for you. He's, he was he was an incredible find for them, you know? Like, yeah, this was also something I had completely forgotten. But, um, but yeah, really, really interesting note. Yeah, Hubie um, uh, points that out. Yeah, so he was a rookie. Antonio Davis was a rookie in 93, 94, but he was like 25 years old um, because he, w- he was drafted in 1990 by the Pacers. 
Um, and then I guess because he like didn't make the team or something, um, he went overseas, uh, played a couple years in Greece, then a year in Italy, and Indiana basically lured him back with some enticing contract. Um, but yeah, he was on the the uh, the UTEP teams with Tim Hardaway uh, in the late '80s. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, he played three seasons with Hardaway at UTEP. Uh, Hardaway was one year ahead of him. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was weird to to like think because obviously when you watch him play, you're like like it doesn't look like a rookie, right? And that's because he was a 25 year old rookie um, <laughs> and had the 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 body to uh, you know to sort of show it. Um, but uh, yeah, man, he was he was a beast. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about him a lot this series. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, the Davis brothers in full force uh, uh, already pretty early in the in the first quarter because um, Smith's picked up a second foul uh, after Ewing Ewing draws one on him uh, with like a little spin move, and um, so it's yeah, it's we got we got Davis brothers right off the bat here in the first quarter, um, and they're doing damage. Absolutely. Um, next thing I have up is uh, Harper to Oakley and transition. Harper to Oakley. Puts us mm-hmm. up 17 to 15. Knicks are up by two. Thulin, right around that time, Thulin uh, remarks on the broadcast, Knicks a mirror image of Indiana. Um, so true. Which, again, yeah, we, we talked about what a great foil they were because despite the sort of like differences in like, you know, um, their their profile, their national profile, their their market size, all that stuff. They really were like kind of similarly built. Um, built by, you know, uh, s- uh, of course, built by Donnie Walsh, who would eventually become yeah. uh, the president of the Knicks briefly in the uh, mid two thousands, I guess. And um, right. you know, largely got that job, I would say, because the Knicks knew what a foil the Indiana team was and you know it was it was this team specifically that probably earned him that uh job opportunity with the Knicks yeah yeah he did an awesome job um was he there through their finals run in 2000 I believe so I'm pretty sure he it was like a lateral move like he was he was with the Pacers up until he got the Knicks job just just wanted kind of a new opportunity came to New York for a couple of years, you know, worked for Dolan and realized how good he had it and went back to Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. That was, those were, uh, were great teams too. the late nineties yep. teams with like, um, Jalen Rose right. and, and, uh, Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson and, of course. Um, I remember like being like, so, um, like sort of jealous when they plucked a, uh, a veteran Chris Mullen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, man, they got old Chris Mullen on the team. Yep. Um, yeah, he was like actually still pretty important for them. Um, anyway, getting back to, yeah, so we're still in the first, so Indiana goal goes completely cold after, um, Smith's goes to the bench with that second foul. That's right. Um, and, uh, and they just look, they look pretty bad. Um, Reggie Miller with his shot. Yeah. After that initial layup, um, right in the, on the first possession of the game, uh, he goes cold. He's 0 for 4, uh, I think the rest of the quarter, and at one point here, I have that the uh, Indiana had zero field goals um, with like a, uh, since uh, Smiths went to the bench, um, and we've got like a minute left, a uh, minute and a half left in the quarter. Yeah, Mason, uh, Mason's dome looking real smooth. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely a a fresh cut, uh, even in the standard def. Uh, that's that's pretty clear. Greg Anthony. One second difference between a shot and a game three to shoot. Anthony drains his second three of the ball game. 
drilling another three-pointer with a few seconds left. Yeah, yes. Knicks, are, Knicks are up 26-20 at the end of the first. Yeah, Rick Smiths uh, shot three of three in that quarter before going to the bench, and the rest of the team, Chris, was two of 15. Jeez. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, I feel like a big story of the first quarter was just uh, fouls, you know, f- f- mm-hmm. foul trouble. Yeah. Like, you, you have the two, of fouls. <laughs> two bigs in foul trouble, Knicks with some early mental miscues, a couple of technical fouls, um, but they quickly, you know, gained command of the game. They are up 26-20 after one. So going into quarter two, Ben... Um, yeah, of course, Thulin, you pointed this out. Thulin mentions uh, regarding Anthony Mason's haircut. And all he has on the side of his head tonight is um, drop the dog. Yes, that's right. Incredible, incredible, uh, uh, you know, commentator insight here uh, by Ron Thulin. Yeah, we noted, of course, uh, back in the Chicago series, Anthony Mason had the words dog pound shaved onto the side of his head. And so for game one of uh, Indiana, he lost the dog and just kept the pound. So, <laughs> so good. yeah, I mean, that's just it's just perfect, like especially for like this series, um, just having the word pound on the side of your shaved into the side uh, of your head. Perfect. Um, yeah, really could not have uh, made a better choice there, Anthony Mason. All right. Um, so we're trading baskets here. Early in the second, the next major thing I have I put in my notes is Greg Anthony draining a three from the corner. Here comes Mason. Anthony spotting up on the left. Let's it ride for three. Yeah, deep in the corner after an awesome fast break led by the aforementioned Anthony of Mason. Who else? Um, yeah. Which, yeah, like, again, he would just do this over and over again where he would just grab the ball and just start a fast break. Yep. Um, and he was so good, uh, so so kind of just quick, and his his uh, motor just like you know getting up the court so quickly, leading the break, dribbling, and then finding Anthony with a perfect like he basically led Anthony yep. into the corner yep, um, yep, with yep. that pass. And I, I wrote great in my pass. Notes, another three from Greg Anthony. It's his third three of the game. We're here early in the second quarter at this point, and you know he's mm-hmm. he's. I wrote in my notes he's really developing into like a very reliable spot up shooter, and. You know, I again, I just wish we had more of this guy. I wish like he could have been a bigger part of the offense. And frankly, I wish he was more consistent. And of course, we'll find out, you know, later in the game, he's going to get nicked up with an injury, but he manages mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to stay relevant, change the game in other ways besides his uh, his shooting. Yeah, I forget exactly when it was, but do you remember in game one, they showed a, <clears throat> a clip of Riley talking about uh, Greg Anthony and how his uh, how he'd worked on his shot so much because he had a very, very funky uh, form, shooting form, um, where he kind of like slung the ball like over his head. Oh, no, I don't. Um, Is that game one of the Bulls series or the Pacers series that you're talking about? Uh, Pacers series. Maybe, maybe. I wonder if it's in game two because I, I, uh, I may have uh, mm, uh, watched peaked. a little bit of game two already gotcha, but um gotcha, gotcha. but yeah at one point um riley uh discusses anthony's uh sh- you know the evolution of his shooting form and it was definitely like very unorthodox i think we could say um and uh yes. inconsistent but when he was you know when he was hitting he was good um and um yeah so right after that so the knicks go up nine after that uh greg anthony three and then hubert with another you guessed it. Foot on the line, too. <laughs> Jesus, man. It was just way yeah. too common. Way too common. <laughs> like, really shocking. Guys, just like, think about so... it. If you scoot your foot back, like, a couple of inches, you could have one more point than two. The shot that you make will be worth 50% more. <laughs> yeah. 50%. That is a huge difference. Yep. Just go back one inch with your toe. Patrick. Ewing, over Smith. 
Smith. Nothing but net. Nothing but net over Rick Smith. 41 to 26. The Knicks are getting anything they want at this point. Just yeah, really Patrick really dominating. Patrick. Yeah, Patrick was unstoppable, uh, and pretty much in this entire game. Um, it, the the contrast between um, watching him battle Bill Cartwright. I have at one point um, in all caps, like what a testament to Bill Cartwright. Yeah. Because when you see him going up against seven again seven foot four inch Rick Smiths, he's just abusing him. He's just yes. doing whatever he wants inside outside. He is all the way out out on the logo of the uh, where it says 1994 NBA playoffs. He brings yeah, Smith good, all the way out, yeah, faces him 18, up. 18, 20 just, feet out. Just drains this, I don't know, 18, 20 foot jumper. And again, I, I know we talked about this in previous episodes. Like I have no doubt that Patrick, if he worked on it, could have been a stretch five in today's NBA. Oh, yeah. Because his release point on his shot was so high, he was big enough that you know he, he would hold the ball like probably like Kristaps Porzingis, where it's like he's got yeah. it up so high that you're not going to be able to block that shot. And he was really smooth, man. And his footwork obviously was incredible. Obviously, his knees later in his career became a problem, so his mobility would have been an issue. But, um, you know, just... Yeah, all the more, all the more reason he, he should have tried to stretch out absolutely. and just become like, you know, like a Sam Perkins, just kind of like hang out on the three-point yeah, line. Man. Yeah, Brooke Lopez. Yeah. Um, yeah, he totally could have done that. Yeah, like you said, his, his release was so high with those long arms that like perfectly, you know, the flick of the wrist, uh, the perfect form. Yeah. I don't like, I feel like, you know, rarely did you see that, that jumper ever get blocked. Um, of course he could, he could fade away if he needed to create more space. Um, yeah, he was a real weapon. Um, at this point, the crowd is standing at following that, that Ewing swish over Smith's. And then right for that, I have a, a Mason miss Oakley rebounds dishes to Ewing who scores again. Yep. The Knicks are now on a 17-2 run. They're up 17 points, uh, 26-43 with uh, under five minutes to go in the second. Uh, Ewing has 10 points in the quarter. Um, Yeah, timeout Indiana. As they cut to commercial, we get our obligatory shot of Woody and Soon Yi. Um, But sadly, Chris, sadly, I mean, frankly, kind of like devastatingly, this uh, recording here that we have from Pick and Roll UK of Knicks Pacers uh, Eastern Conference Finals Game 1 did not include commercials. Um, really can't tell you how much it it's pains me to say that. Yeah, it's a loss. Every, every time there was a timeout, I like I got like excited for a second, and then I remembered, oh, no, no, there's he no did, commercials. Yeah, yeah, no, he didn't give us commercials on this one. Coming out of the timeout here, again, so like you, like you mentioned, Ben, story of the, of the quarter at this point feels like the Knicks are just playing smothering defense. All shots are mm-hmm. falling. Indiana can't get anything happening. 17-2 run. Ron Thulin remarks following... Uh, uh, the coming back from the commercial break that uh, right now the garden at Madison Square has become Indiana's Temple of Doom. Indiana's Temple of Doom. Wow. Which was Amazing. a nice Amazing. little play on words there. Ron Thulin really appreciated that one. We are at this point under three minutes, 5136. Um, oh, and then this blew my mind, man, coming into the game. So now we're under a minute. I don't know if there's anything else that has happened that you really want to talk about. Feel free to shout it out. Well, there was that awful um, John Starks Reverse missed dunk. dunk. Right. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that too much, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, coming into the game, now we are under 30 seconds. Oh, I know what you're about to say. Coming yeah. into the game for an inbounds pass with 20 seconds le- 27 seconds left, Ben, Byron Scott was a pacer? I didn't remember Byron Scott being a pacer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Actually, that's man. not what I thought you were going to say. But, um, Go ahead. But, yeah, Byron Scott, yeah. 
This was, uh, you know, obviously much later in his career, um, after his glory days with the with the Lakers. Um, you know, winning. I think he was there for three of their five championships. Um, but uh, yeah, when I, I I had remembered him being on the team, um, but I think at the time, you know, in '94 when we were when we were watching these games live. I didn't really have any concept of like how awesome Byron Scott was in the eighties. Um, he just was like a veteran, you know, shooting guard or whatever for the Pacers. Yeah. Um, so when I like kind of was reminded of that, um, I was like, wow, how did the Pacers get Byron Scott? Like, I was like trying to figure out like wh- how they traded for him. And it turns out they didn't trade. He was just released. He was just cut by the Lakers wow, really? um, following the 93 season. Cause he was just kind of like washed up. I think he'd had a couple injuries. Um, and, you know, by then the Lakers were terrible and rebuilding. Right. So they literally just so cut him, him loose. Yeah. And the Pacers just signed him in the offseason. Um, well, good guess. So, yeah, he was a, a pretty great uh, veteran presence for them. Um, the thing I thought you were going to say that, Chris, I, I was... I think uh, I know what you're going to bring up. Yes, but go ahead. The 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 Isaiah Thomas shout-out? Oh, no. I, okay. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Give I, me that. I like that. Just real quick, the announcers were... Uh, they, they flash uh, Isaiah sitting in the stands. And congratulations... To Zeke, Isaiah Thomas, he is management now. Not only management, but a 10% owner of the team. And they say, congrats to Zeke. He's management now as VP of Basketball Ops for the expansion Toronto Raptors franchise. Wow. Um, so I was like, wow. That's a fun little throwback wow, right there. Wow, um, wow, incredible. And uh, yeah, as they know, not only management, but he's he was also a 10% owner of the team. That's so. right. Of course. Yeah, very exciting. Very exciting for Isaiah. Um, we talked about yeah. it in the uh, the deep dive I did with my friend Dan Rosen on the on the Raptors um, episode, wh- whichever it was that we did uh, pre OTL one hundred. The uh, the in the deep dive we did on the Raptors, Dan was telling me that Isaiah had this like internal power struggle with within the Raptors organization, and basically like tried to like pull off like a management coup where he like like basically bought the team from from mm-hmm. uh from raptors ownership and it failed and that's how he like, right wind up right right, right yeah anyways what i was gonna bring up was reggie miller on the foul line at the end of the half with two shots oh yeah then serenaded to chance of reggie miller only six points in the ball game four of those coming in the first Asshole. <laughs> so, all right, all right. Asshole. <laughs> that's so funny because i was trying to figure i was trying so hard to figure out i literally have in my notes 51 minutes into the no into doubt, the uh, yeah, recording yeah. crowd chanting dot 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 question mark question mark and i was like and at first the first time I, so i may have like gone back and watched it like a few times mm-hmm. is like so the first time i was like i don't i can't make out what they're saying and then on my second like listen i just wrote is it asshole oh, question mark question mark question mark uh-huh yeah, I that's, think it. Yeah, that's so I, I'm pretty sure is. we've confirmed. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's asshole. It's asshole. It's one thousand <laughs> <That's> asshole. <laughs> so, so fantastic. So Nick. Wow. That is like so yeah. Nick. So Madison Square Garden. Just so, chanting asshole. We, so we go to the half with a commanding Nick's lead, fifty three thirty seven at the half. Uh, yeah. Story basically of the second quarter again. Nick's playing smothering defense. All shots falling. They blow it open here. Reggie Miller struggling, two for five for seven points. Rick Smith has been great for twelve points on six of eight. Yeah, shooting. Smith's Smith's really their only uh, bright spot. His problem um, is he's only played eleven minutes at this point because right. he's been in foul trouble. And I mean, for the Knicks to score fifty three points in a single half of basketball, that is like that was that was like you know like 
just huge. Yes. Like that's uh, like like mind blowing yes. uh, offensive production for them in 1994. <laughs> like yes. that was you know probably close to one of their highest uh, you know playoff outputs in a single half uh, in in 94. So um, and uh, yeah, Reggie Miller, complete no show. Ben, we wanted to try something new today. Uh, since Here we like, go. like you said, Pick and Roll UK's stream didn't include any of any uh, commercials, any of the original commercials. We wanted to explore some fun 1994 commercial content, in particular, a vehicle we love, a vehicle we feel very fondly toward. What favorite things come with a Galan ES? Automatic transmission, air conditioning, and much more. The Mitsubishi Galant. So, right. Ben, there are a couple of different advertisements uh, for the 94 Galant 7G, and we'd love to really quickly tell you a little bit about this vehicle. So um, let's start with some of the financial specifics. So, Ben, here we go. Specifics on this bad boy is $500 down, 1.2% APR, $179 mm. a I month. I mean, that's... Yep. Fantastic APR. Yep. $179 a month, which is very reasonable. And that includes air conditioning, folks. And um, the fun thing about this, Ben, is it comes with the Diamond Advantage plan. Yeah, let's talk about the Diamond Advantage plan. What is that? Uh, what what exactly does that entail? Do you know? I got to be honest with you. I don't know. Um, but I'm excited about it. And I have to imagine it gives you an advantage sure. over you know over other plans. The advantage plan basically is a twelve month roadside assistance plan. Uh, oh, that's great! It, yeah, so it's like a, an advantage membership club kind of plan, um, mm-hmm. where you know if you, if you have any sort of issues with your car, it also comes with a new vehicle limited warranty, bumper to bumper coverage for five oh, years. Oh, you got to get that bumper to bumper coverage. Sixty thousand yeah. miles, so you're in great shape with the advantage plan. And again, that's coming with the uh, the Mitsubishi Galant, the seven G. Um, mm-hmm. Again, a very reasonable, affordable, one seventy nine a month, five hundred dollars down, one point two percent APR, and that again includes the air conditioning. Yeah, automatic transmission, AM FM stereo, Chris, dual airbags, power windows, power door locks, dual cup holder. That's a big one. Uh, crumple yeah. zones, cruise control. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the you're getting the, the total package. Is the dual cup holders because that means Ben, we can both have a soda in the car. Listen to the radio, FM, AM, whatever it is, and just mm-hmm. again dial up, dial up that stereo, and get. If a, the weather is nice, you just click those buttons for the power windows to slide down. Slide them down. Yeah, we're not we're not doing the manual windows anymore. And you know, again, you're thinking warm weather. You're thinking that jumbo Slurpee, um, and and you're gonna have a cup holder for for two of them. And that's great. Uh, you're gonna get two. Go yeah, ahead and get two. You got crumple zones on this thing. You have cruise control. Uh, you mentioned power windows, dual airbags. That means you know you and and your friend in the passenger seat. You're both going to be safe. Automatic transition, folks. No more stick shift. No more manual. You know, changing Mm-mm. gears. None of that. No more struggling with that with that clutch. Absolutely yeah, no. not. No. Also, ch- childproof door locks. So this is uh, this is also a a family automobile, so Chris. If you've got yeah, you're if you've a family got kids, guy. No worries. You're a yeah. family guy. Tell us about some of the concerns you might have with with a, a child in your car. I mean, listen. If you don't have those childproof door locks, that kid can just you know you're cruising down the the highway at, at 65, 70 miles per hour. 
kid can pop a door open and just jump right out the car. Yeah. Um, so it's important to have those childproof door locks. The Mitsubishi it. Galant has them, so you don't need to worry. What I like about this last commercial, Ben, um, is uh, the gigantic <laughs> magnifying glass. There's a lot about the new Galant that you may not know, like being first in its class with dual airbags, standard. In fact, after Automobile Magazine scrutinized the all-new Galant, it said it may be the, the most car per dollar in its class. Yeah, we've got a comically oversized magnifying glass just doing a smooth, slow pan over the car. In case the audience taking at in home all watching on TV the... can't get these details. Yeah, it's it's a it's a striking image. Um, you know, it's a great, great ad spot here where you where you really get to see the the fine details that this car offers. I love the quotes this... they have in the commercial here at the bottom of the screen. The most car per dollar in its class. The Mitsubishi yeah. Galant. Couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, it's it's an absolutely stellar vehicle. So um, with that, Ben, uh, let's get back to Madison Square Garden for the All second right. half. That was keep, our... things mo- keep things moving. <laughs> that was our halftime entertainment. I hope everyone yep. enjoyed that. Yep. Definitely check out, check out the Galant. Yeah, it's a great vehicle. All right, back in the third here, uh, I have at the opening, Reggie Miller attacks Starks at the basket with a really pretty hesitation. Here comes Miller. So at this point, the score is 53 to 39. Yeah, then uh, a little bit later, yes, uh, Smits puts in a little uh, baby hook over Ewing. Yeah. To pull it to within 12, and uh, I think it's Ron Thule, maybe it was Hubie. It's Uh, Hubie. Remember, we keep telling you in this series, New York will always let you back. That's the way they play. Unfortunately for them, they play in peaks and valleys. Which, which really struck and a chord. credit Hubie, you know, he is kind of pounding this drum throughout the course of the second half here. He goes, at the very top of the third, he goes, you know, uh, uh, you just can't count them out, meaning Indiana. He keeps pounding in th- this point that Indiana is a second-half team. They thrive in the yeah. second half, and he points out in the series against the Magic and in, again, in the series against the Hawks, in game one, they both had double-digit deficits going into That's the right. third quarter, and they wound up winning both games. So, Yeah, they, they were a very sneaky comeback second-half yeah, team. They're yeah, they're a team that's like used to playing from behind, so this doesn't phase them at all. And mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to that point, you know, the Knicks can't buy a basket early in the in the third here. And you could just feel it, man. You could just feel the Indiana comeback. It's happening. And, um, you know, you're, you're just bracing for it. And like you said, Hubie has that line, you know, um, they always let you back yeah. in. That's the, that's the way they play with peaks and valleys. Yeah, Oakley is called on a flagrant after a, uh, a really uh, hard foul on, uh, on Smith's, kind of wraps him up under the basket. Um, and then suddenly it's a nine-point game, Chris. It's a 7-0 Pacers run to start the, the second half. Knicks have missed their first five shots of the, of the period. Um, but then I have a big, big moment. Charles Smith goes up, misses offensive rebound. There's a scrum loose on the floor. Bodies are flying everywhere. Oakley comes up with it and puts it in off the glass. Yep. Just classic Charles Oakley, you know, you know, Huge. scrapping and fighting. Um, and then on the very next Indiana possession. Great play by the Oakley. And he gives it up to Starks. He gives it back to Oakley. He stays on his seat but gives it up to Ewing. This is incredible. Reggie's trying to get the ball into uh, to Dale Davis for an entry pass. And Oakley literally dives onto the floor, just full 
out, like, you know, full extension dive, you know, as if like a, like a hockey player, like hitting the ice to like block a shot, you know? Um, I don't know if they still do that in hockey, but back in the nineties, that was like a big, uh, big move. Um, I remember the Rangers would always do that a lot. Um, uh, and yeah, Oakley literally likes like, you know, full extension splays out to, uh, to dive, to, to break up the entry pass. Starks recovers it. He passes it back to Oakley, who is still on the floor. Uh, Oakley gives it up to, uh, to Ewing and they, and they advance the ball over half court. I just yeah. love incredible you know, just how defensive much... anticipation by the Oak man. Yeah. Just the amount of time the guy spent on the floor. Like it was just, the, that was, that was his, his domain just, yep. you know, lying on the ground. Yep. 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 Starks hits a contested fallaway jumper, makes it 57-44. Starks from 16. I think Starks is better when two guys play. <laughs> and when he's falling away. That's, that's his first field goal of the basketball game. The lead back up to 13 inside of eight minutes. Hubie says 57-44. See, not only is Reggie not in the mix, Ron, but he's not in the mix to even make a catch and have a clear look, never mind a shot. Yeah, a little bit later on, uh, Thulin remarks, John Starks is Reggie Miller's shadow tonight. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I mean, we got to, you know, got to got to give credit to Starks. He wasn't playing a great offensive game, uh, but he was just working his ass off. And I mean, that's the thing with, with Miller, you know, he wasn't, um, his, his shots weren't falling. But no matter what, like the guy would just be moving so constantly. And um, at one point I have in my notes, just like just like so many picks, like the whole Indiana offense was basically just getting Reggie free off of curls and, and, and picks and pin downs and stuff. Let's talk um, about that specific one that I, I, I know that you have in your notes. I have it too. Patrick has his patented, you know, drop step in the paint. Yui with the right hand. Other and Indiana responds. So it's 59-44, six minutes and 53 seconds left in the third quarter. Basically, this is a play that we would come to become very familiar with over the course of our childhood, Ben, during these Knicks-Pacers games. But basically, the Pacers bunch up beneath the basket in the paint. A 6-0 run for New York after Indiana cut it to nine. And Reggie Miller with the acrobatic shot, only his second field goal of the quarter. Reggie basically uses a hard screen to just chip his defender off him. Just get the, you know, that split second of space, just the tiniest yep. bit of space freeing up. A little bit of, little bit of daylight. That's yep. all he needed. And the guy was lethal, man. Um, the guy was yeah. lethal with just even the a little bit of space. And uh, so, yeah, Reggie uh, drains drains a shot, sinks a shot here over Starks and just kind of curls off a screen. He gets uh, gets John Starks chipped on a screen. And um, again, it's it's a move that we become very familiar with over the course of our childhood. Yeah. And it was like you would feel like that that like kind of like pit of your stomach feeling like just seeing Reggie coming off the screen, yep. like before he would even catch the ball you would feel like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, um, and it was actually kind of like crazy, like watching this game where he was pretty quiet and like just thinking like, I don't know, like, you know, every time he misses a shot, it was like a shock, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, we just we, we just got so conditioned and so like like traumatized basically uh, fr- from watching this guy that every time he, he, he even gets free, I just assume he's going to swish, uh, you know, a jumper. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously that's a little bit of foreshadowing because he will, uh, he will have some better games later in the yep, series. Absolutely. Um, but, to be uh, expected. yeah, yeah, 
but definitely on this night, Starks was working his ass off, uh, keeping him keeping him pretty relatively bottled up. Yeah. Yep. Five thirty left in the third. So Rick Smith is on the foul line, and Hubie has a great point here on this play that happens. So, so Smith is fouled, and he's shooting on the line, and he says Hubie points out that basically, like the Knicks are doing a great job right now fronting Rick Smiths. So mm. Smith is 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 uh, he's on the line because he gets fouled by Charles Smith. But what happened here is. Patrick jumps for the entry pass to uh, try to get the steal. And what the Knicks are doing a great job of is right behind Smith's, you know, Patrick jumps to the front and right behind him are Oakley and Charles Smith. They're waiting right behind him on defense. So Smith's is forced to work doubly hard. And Hubie is saying basically that the Pacers need to start parking whoever is matched up against Oakley or Charles Smith away from the basket because right now Patrick has carte blanche to jump these passes. He knows that they're coming in uh, into Smith's and you know it's like a little like in football when the cornerback is jumping a wide receiver's route knowing that the safety is right behind him should he not be able to get the interception. So um, very astute observation I thought by Hubie Brown. Nick's playing solid D. They foul Smith's on this possession but they're giving him trouble. 59-48 Nick's, 530 left. Yeah, great points. Yeah, uh, Ewing's still you know taking it to, to Smith's. This is uh, skipping ahead a little mm-hmm. bit here into the third. Um, yeah, Hubie asks, when have you seen Patrick this active after uh, after Ewing? Y- y- you know, um, beyond even just the uh, the scoring that, that Ewing is doing, he's drawing fouls left and right, uh, just right. being really aggressive. So I believe he draws Smith's fourth foul with like three minutes left. Is that right? Swishes both from the line at this point. Ewing's got 18 points, about three minutes left here. Uh, Nick's up 65-52. And it kind of feels like They've just kind of like got this in hand, you mm-hmm. know, it's sort of it sort of just feels like, OK, the Pacers like aren't that good. And like New York just like isn't really going to give him any ground here. Oh, it's right around this time that uh, that Greg Anthony gets popped on a, on a uh, screen. Um, uh, I believe he gets. Yeah, he gets hit by Dale Davis. That'll do it. Um, so he's he's really he's really laboring. His arm um, gets kind of like crushed by uh, by Dale Davis on a screen. Two minutes left in the third. Now keep an eye right here. Oakley trying to front Davis. Now that time, any time that you're trying to get position, you can knock it down that low. I mean, it, the referees, I, I think, are turning their heads on these two guys. <laughs> I think so. We're not going to hurt anybody. Just leave him alone. Just leave him alone. Literally like a wrestling match. Like like yeah. a Greco-Roman style wrestling match. Like hands on each other's hips, yanking each other away from the basket. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just absolutely, yeah, like you said, just like pushing each other, pulling each other. Uh, Hubie then relays a quote uh, where Oakley said, uh, I have a great deal of respect for the Davis boys because they play hard, no cheap fouls, they work. You know you're in for a battle the entire 48 minutes. Yep. Um, and I just love like how much Hubie like got off on this stuff like totally. it was very clear he could not contain his like Joy. his love his his zeal yeah his his giddiness watching these grown men just claw and like and and and, and grab at each other like a mud wrestling match basically <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah just beautiful beautiful stuff well props um, to TNT for putting him on the broadcast um, oh yeah so gotta love you we are right at two minutes left 66 56 you know the pacers are hanging around and then all of a sudden the 10th year pro out of georgia burn with a little behind the back 
Oh, Vern freaking Fleming yeah, cuts it Vern. to single digits behind the back. Verno. He goes behind a the sick, back. Sick behind the back dribble move. Goes for, in for uh, the layup. Scoop, let scoop into the layup. Yeah, yeah. man. Uh, all of a sudden, it's an eight-point game, 66-58. Is Vern Fle- I have in my notes, Ben, is Vern Fleming the new Pete Myers? Mm, and then, maybe. Yeah, and then we, have, uh, uh, then we have Byron Scott with a back break. Scott pulls the trigger. Release sinks the jumper and one over Hubert Davis. And one. A three-point yep. play. Now it's 66-61, uh, 66-61 with 120 left. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm sweating. I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I expected. This is exactly It doesn't really make sense that it's a five-point game. I mean, the no. Knicks have been completely dominating. They've just been handling this team the entire game. And suddenly you look up and you're and you're it's a five point game. Yep. You're like, wait, what? What yep. happened? Yep, yep. Uh, and the reason is that the Knicks at that point, Chris, uh, are shooting three of seventeen uh, in the third quarter. Uh, so just what we talked about, like they would just go cold sometimes, right. and it would last for a long time when they did go cold. So Oakley responds um, on the other end, makes it sixty eight sixty one. There's about a minute left now, minute and change left, and then you start to hear the defense chants close to the end of the third quarter here. And, yeah, um, crowd getting into it yeah. big time. They can they, they can sense, yeah, trying to close out the quarter strong. <laughs> so that I have in my notes made me smile. There's nothing better than seeing Anthony Mason snatch a rebound, palm the ball with his one hand for a second, yeah. just surveying the court, and then deciding, eh, I'm going to bring it up myself and play point guard for one possession. Um, yeah. The way he would just, like, hold the ball in his hand, like just like it was like a toy. Uh, yeah, it was just so wonderful, man. Yeah, it was a, it was a yo-yo on a string for him, and he wouldn't, you know, he would dribble it high sometimes. He would, you know, sometimes it almost like looked out of control. Uh, yep. You know, especially when he would like. There are a couple plays um, where you know he's like dribbling, and he and he almost starts like high stepping a little bit, like as he's dribbling. Yep. He he loved doing that thing where he's almost like prancing around with it with the ball. Um, really just like a magician. Like it didn't make it, it like I, I love like honestly, like maybe watching him dribble was my favorite yeah. thing about it just, Anthony Mason. It did not make sense. It was, I think we made this comp in a previous podcast, but it was like literally Jerome Bettis like where it was like, how is this guy this fast and this powerful? It defies the laws of physics, but it's the most delightful thing to watch. Um, yeah, 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 and he's so big that the the basketball looks like you know like a, a like toy. a fucking softball yep. in his hands, yep. and he's just like yeah toying with it. Um, yeah, really, <laughs> really, really good. So at this point, Ben Rick Smith has twenty one and eight. We're closing out the third quarter, and it's it's apparent to me that this is his game in terms of you know like he is he is the lead dog here for the Pacers. Smith with twenty one and eight. Um, at this point, it's sixty eight to sixty three. Uh, Mason closes the quarter with a huge dunk. Mason, oh, the big time slam. Making it 70 yeah. to 63. So we finish. Yeah, a sick move where, yeah, the Knicks move the ball around and Mason gets free yep. and just goes off the dribble, just gets around his man on the baseline, goes up for a one-hand slam. We, um, we close the quarter here. The Knicks are up seven. And uh, moral of the story, of the, uh, moral of the quarter is basically, you know, the Pacers have come streaking back here in the third. The Knicks, uh, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks start the third quarter pretty cold, and then they start clamping down. But the the, but the Pacers are right back in it. We're, they're right in the thick yeah. of it, and we are primed for an exciting fourth quarter. Yeah, Pacers outscore the Knicks twenty six to seventeen in the third. Um, however, as we all know, and as a massive sign uh, in the in the crowd that. Uh, 
the TNT flashes on screen. Um, the Knicks own the fourth quarter. Of course. Chris. Of course. They own it. Um, and another incredible graphic. I don't know if you caught this, but around a minute 50, or sorry, an hour, 50 minutes. No, wait, sorry. Hour 19, uh, 27 seconds. Um, TNT puts up this graphic of the uh, fourth quarters in the 94 oh, yeah. uh, playoffs. And so in the first round, the Nets averaged 19 points in the fourth quarter on 26% shooting. And in the second round, the Bulls averaged 16 points in the fourth quarter. Um, something that uh, they remark on, this might be later in game two when, when they actually say it, but um, uh, someone points out the fact that in the Knicks seven-game series against the Chicago Bulls, the Bulls did not score above 20 points in any fourth quarter in that series. All seven fourth Insane. quarters, the Knicks held them under 20 points in the fourth quarter, which had never been done before in a seven-game series. Um, Think about and- that for a sec, folks. <laughs> under 20 points a quarter. That means yeah. you're scoring under 80 points for the game. I mean, like, like it- imagine today's NBA where a team, you know, only scores 70 points in the game or something, 65 yeah. points in a game. Um, yeah, yeah, and, insane. And in that same graphic, opponents under 20 points in 10 out of 11 fourth quarter, uh, in, in 10 out of 11 fourth quarters here in the playoffs. So Yeah, that's right. The only time a team scored over 20 points in the fourth against the Knicks was when the Nets scored 31 in a like pretty meaningless, well, I guess it wasn't meaningless, but it was the uh, the elimination game four in the first round. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, pretty incredible stats there. All right, let's move on to the fourth, uh, and uh, we can move here a little bit. So it's uh, I, I have down, basically, it's a five-point game here with 11 minutes left, 70 to 65. All of a sudden, it is feeling like playoff intensity here at Madison Square Garden, and uh, yeah, like I said, we're primed for a big fourth quarter. Yeah, Ewing uh, hits again over, uh, over Smiths, and I just remarked Again, in my notes, a testament to Bill Cartwright because Patrick Ewing is just absolutely manhandling Rick Smith. He can't do anything to stop him. Is that the, uh, the, um, the line drive skyhook in the paint? Ewing, the quick step again. Oh, boy. He threw that down. Yes, he did. That was a line drive. Yeah, yep, yep. Exactly. Smith's answer is um, at the other end, makes it 72 67. Hubert hits a big three. Davis for three. The Knicks up by eight. The defense chants are going loud. The garden. We sadly get no commercials, but at least we do get the Dutch boy in the paint graphic. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is fun. Fun little Again, uh, you, reminder of the, the camera pans. You see Reggie Miller's face. And with about nine minutes left. And again, it dawns on me. It's like, this is absolutely Smith's team here in game one. Like he is, he is the game plan. Rick Smith's feeding him in the paint, yeah. attack Patrick, try to get Patrick in foul trouble. Um, but Reggie can't get anything going. He's on the bench here early in the fourth. And then an absolutely monster monster flush from Antonio Davis. Yep, yep. He had Smiths, who is rejected by Patrick. So they, mm-hmm. they feed it to Smiths in the paints. Hubie has been imploring the Pacers all game long. They have to keep going back to Smiths. They have to keep going back to Smiths. They get it to Smiths in the paint. Patrick rejects the shot, but the, but, but the Pacers keep the possession alive. They find Antonio Davis cutting in the paint, and he is fouled on the dunk. He hits his free throw. All of a sudden, is 77-72, nine minutes and however many seconds left. Um, and it's a five-point game here. 
um, as we come into, yeah, the final half of the uh, fourth quarter. Uh, right after that, Smith's, a vi- uh, Smith's uh, hits a, a really nifty little up and under. Uh, yes! Big fella, give it that can't move! <laughs> uh, after giving Patrick, like, three different moves. What a move. Um, yeah, like Hakeem Olajuwon-esque right there. Um, ben, he hits- ben, Rick Smith's is a star, playing like an absolute star today. Yeah, he is capital B balling. He's got 27 points at this point, and it is a three-point game, 74-77. How is that possible, man? How is that possible? Did not make any sense. I I literally wrote, how is this a three-point game with three question marks? So Um, I have in my notes, throughout, like even until the final seconds of this game, Ben, my my stomach is in knots. My stomach is in absolute <laughs> knots. And the thing is, like, yeah. my memory isn't strong enough to remember what happened in this game. You know, there are some very, very iconic Reggie Miller, Knicks Pacers moments. And I'm like, is this the game where that thing happened? I can't remember exactly. So I'm like, I, I feel on edge, man. I feel, like, incredibly yeah. on edge throughout the whole game. And all of a sudden, it's a mm-hmm. three-point game here with 8.40 left in the fourth. Smith looks great. Miller hasn't been playing well. I'm like, yeah, oh, Miller's like Christ. sitting on the bench. Yeah, is he going to yeah. come back like a fucking zombie and, like, you know, like, avenge his death here? Like, I, I'm just, I'm nervous as hell. I want the Knicks to start hitting some foul shots. Um, and then uh, we have Greg Anthony with a big steal and a layup in the open court. Mm-hmm. I note that he yeah. shoots huge, huge defensive sequence. He yeah. shoots the layup with his left hand, so it's eighty-one seventy-four. Of course, Anthony at this point, um, Thulin and and QB note. Uh, uh, Greg Anthony has been nursing his his uh, sore shoulder, which he uh, picked up on a on a pick from yeah um, that that dale davis yeah popped dale on the davis screen pick, yeah he looks one of those like, davis boys yeah so anthony looks like he's in some serious pain but like the thing about greg anthony in the course of this game man he finds ways to contribute you know like sure. like he just he keeps finding ways to contribute here on the defensive end he has a couple of uh, probably t- probably two or three steals throughout the course of the game so um mm-hmm. really really playing well so now at this point it is 81-74, about 7-41 left in the game. Yeah, and uh, Antonio Davis uh, gets gets one inside, uses the hoop to shield Ewing for a, for a, a you know a nice little basket in there, um, and then uh, Indiana is just like working underneath, just missing shots but keeping the ball alive. Uh, Hubie says, "Oh, the two Davis boys kept that one going." Uh, we're about six thirty to go here. Yeah, Miller, Reggie Miller is still non-existent. We also have to uh, note, point out, uh, Derek McKee oh, was a complete, complete no-show in this game. Oh boy, uh, he's he's zero of six with one point at this point. Um, and this was a guy that was pretty important to their offense. He he was, um, you know, he came over from Seattle in the uh, the big Detlef Schrempf trade. Um, earlier in the season wow, I forgot uh, that that's how he arrived with indiana of course yeah and and shrimp of course was like a pretty awesome player he was um you know a key part of that uh that sonics 96 title run uh or at least you know finals run um but uh but yeah Derek mckee not not doing it here um for the uh, for the pacers in game one um, well, one moment I did uh, want to point out uh where mckee did make an impact i wrote in my notes geez you know the knicks are gonna have to fight all the way to the buzzer to win this game because the Pacers are just not going away. Case in point, Derek McKee steals the ball from Charles Oakley. Mm. Oh, what a steal! McKee and Anthony have to commit the foul. That 
was a great steal. Oakley was falling out of bounds and tried to throw that one in past Derek McKee. A terrific steal. Yeah. As as Oakley falling out of bounds, falling out of yeah. bounds beneath the basket. Uh, Oak yeah. is falling out of bounds, and McKee steals steals the ball from him, and um, on on the uh, defensive rebound, and and he throws it to a teammate, and it's just absolutely stifling defense by McKee, and it's just you, yeah. you get the sense that you know the, the Pacers aren't going anywhere. Yeah, that's true. He did make a good play there, um, and then makes a couple of free throws to make it a five point game with about five forty to go. Um, and then, and then oh. one of my favorite plays of the entire oh game. I think it's my favorite play of the game, but you take it. Yeah. An hour, 31 minutes, 40 seconds. Yep. Uh, Greg Anthony is forced into a bad one-on-one shot. Uh, and then on the other end, he steals it, uh, after intercepting an, uh, Antonio Davis pass to Reggie Miller. He comes down. It's a two-on-two fast break. Antonio Davis is standing right there, ready to contest the the shot. But Ewing goes up and just throws down a hellacious dunk all over Antonio Davis. One of those dunks where you know the guy goes up to contest it, and and the, and the dunk comes down, and like Ewing's legs are basically like all over Antonio Davis's torso. Yep. Um, because it's just yeah, it's just absolutely. Uh, uh, disgusting to, I mean, to, to, to observe, down but the hammer, I mean, it's an absolute yeah. throw. It's down a hammer a drop. Slam. Yeah. Hammer drop. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, good Lord, good grief, Patrick dropping the <laughs> hammer. Hubie exclaims yeah. the garden is standing, standing. Yep. Yep. So Nick's Nick's up seven. Ewing has 26 points at this point. Right. Uh, we've got five minutes to go. The defense chants are going, um uh we got we got another Vern Fleming uh drive Jeez, uh score and one on Greg Anthony. Yep. Uh although it could have been an offensive foul in my opinion. Um but he makes a free throw to make it a four point game with four minutes and forty seconds left here. Um John Starks is still on the bench at this point. He's been a complete no show other than his, you know, great defense on Reggie Miller, but offensively just uh didn't have anything going. Uh, we've got a Ewing um, uh, miss, and then Vern Fleming with another drive off the glass. And it is a two-point game. 83-85 Knicks. They're doing it again, with four man. four minutes left. Yeah, like Hubie yeah. said, the Pacers are an excellent second-half team, and they, they get back in these games, and they're doing it again here against the Knicks. It's a two-point game, 85-83, four minutes left in the fourth. Um, and I wrote in my notes, you know, Ben, why am I so nervous at this point? Uh, another minute or so passes. It's a seven point game, 90 to 83. And I just, yeah. I'm like, why, well, why am I so nervous? Go ahead. What happened next actually was, was pretty critical. Okay. It was Hubert Davis. Pacers trail at one time by 17, but Hubert Davis locks down the three, his second of the ball game. A huge three pointer right over, uh, Reggie Miller up in his face. Um, that puts Knicks up five, and um, I, I actually kind of like went back to like check, and that was actually sort of a turning point because the the Pacers never pulled closer uh, than than five points after that. Um, this was about uh, let's see, like three minutes left, a little over three minutes left in the game, and that that Hubert three um, really kind of like stopped the, uh, the the Pacers run, um, and the Knicks were able to just yep. kind of like I just maintain it. following that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it definitely uh, was not easy. A lot lot more back and forth here. A graphic that flashes on screen with uh, three point field goals made. Pacers zero, <laughs> Knicks six. 
And I just have my notes. Uh, it was a different game. Yep. Different game back in 1994. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Pretty, pretty insane. Zero three pointers made, not on the quarter, in the game for the Indiana Pacers at that point. If I've skipped over anything, uh, call it out by all means. But we are under two minutes at this point, and Phoebe says The Dale Davis Charles Oakley <laughs> battle is for men only. Yes. <laughs> 148. To which I, 148 to which I respond, Hubie, boy, oy, oing. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> the Dale Davis Charles Oakley battle is for men only. So it is 90 to No 80. ladies. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> not- sorry, ladies, and sorry, children. Yep, yep. If you're not a, if you're not a man, you're not going to be able to uh, observe this content. 90 to 84. Knicks are up by six points. 148 left in the fourth. Again, six point game. I'm nervous as hell. Um, Pacers at this point are playing trap defense. Uh, they're able. Yep. To, the Knicks are able to find Ewing for a jumper, ninety-two to eighty-four, one thirty left. And uh, at this point, yeah, the Knicks are yeah. up eight. Ewing makes that J, which is his twenty-eighth point of the game. And then on the very next possession, he comes down and blocks a Hayward Workman um, uh, uh, drive. Fans are standing at this point. Um. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, I have Derek Harper driving and drawing a foul yep. and then goes to the line to miss two free throws because Incredibly Derek man. Harper, for all of his, uh, you know, his strengths, uh, not a good free throw shooter. Um, I always remember being like just like flummoxed by that. Like he's, you know, a point guard in the NBA. And like weirdly, mm-hmm. like there weren't that many, like especially for like if you were a guard or, you know, a point guard particularly like you were pretty much always going to be like an 80% minimum free throw shooter. Um, like there just weren't that many, like, I don't know. It was maybe there were like just the, the fundamentals were, were focused on more back then or, or what, but like, right. Uh, I think the average free throw uh, percentage in the, in the whole league was like a few points higher back in those days. Um, but yeah, particularly guards, like it was very rare to, to find a point guard who was like a bad free throw shooter. And Harper right. for his career was like regularly like in like the sixties um, from oh, the foul God, line. That's terrible. I didn't realize it was yeah. so bad. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. so and, after uh, that, yeah, dude, drove me crazy. Again, I have this paranoia in the back of my head. I'm like, is is, is Reggie Miller going to burn me here because we're missing foul shots? So on mm-hmm. the next possession, Miller comes streaking down the court, charges at the basket, and collides Ugh. into Patrick, man. And this looks bad. Completely I out of control, just is, pushes Patrick into the photographers. I was like, is Patrick hurt? He's limping off. Did he hurt his hip? What's wrong with him? Yeah, and he I goes just, down in a heap. He looks he looks pretty banged up. We're under um, a minute takes him here. a while to stand up we're under a minute i'm like god i hate how much my stomach is in knots this game should be on ice it doesn't feel like it is we're taking mm-hmm. out oakley at this point he has 20 points and 13 rebounds a monster mm. game and i'm just i'm nervous as hell it still feels way too close um about 30 plus seconds left miller for three his first of the ball game and he has hit at least one three Reggie drains a three. Now it's a six-point game. Finally hits his first three of the game. Yeah, and it's six points with 30 seconds. But not feeling feeling too good. Mercifully, uh, the Pacers foul Greg Anthony, who hits two uh, free throws, 32 seconds left. Now the score is 95 to 87. Um, (laughs) I wrote my notes again. Stomach and knots. Why won't Larry Brown just concede this game, please? (laughs) He's calling timeouts. He's calling timeouts. He's drawing up plays. He's looking at the Knicks defense. I mean, I give the guy credit. Like they, they just went kicking and screaming. 
Um, yeah. Byron Scott hits two free throws with 20 seconds left, 95 to 89. John Starks is then fouled immediately. Starks misses the first, makes the Ugh. second. Drove me crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that that was his first free throw of the game, by the way, for Starks. He had only two points uh, up to that point. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, you know, again, gotta, can't totally fault him because he uh, played incredible D. Yeah. Um, and then the, and uh, then, the, the game ends here with Greg Anthony, uh, getting a steal, finding Mason for a dunk at the buzzer, which I thought was really yeah. cool. At this point, it's a nine-point uh, uh, lead, and there's no need to rub it in, but Anthony Mason just goes ahead and dunks it right as time expires, which, uh, to which I said, fuck yes, yes, love it, Anthony Mason. 100 to 89, Knicks take game one against the Pacers here at Madison Square Garden. Uh, ben, just thoughts on the fourth quarter, thoughts on the game, big big picture takeaways, thoughts, any sort of reactions? I mean, just that the Knicks never made it easy, you know? Yep. there was. N- I don't remember, uh, you know, a, a, a playoff victory at any point in my childhood um, when I thought, oh, yeah, that was, you know, that was a, a clean, simple blowout win. Like, it just didn't happen. Um, it was always ugly. It was always dirty. It was always hard. Um and just, yeah, like you said, just gut-wrenching, edge of your seat. Didn't matter what the score was. Um, they never made you feel good. And let's face it, like, that's kind of why we felt the way we felt about this team. Because they, you know, they they just engendered this, like, emotional investment. Because it was never, you always had to, had to feel on edge with them. Um, so when they did win, it, it always felt more meaningful and more... Like, boy, I didn't know if we'd be able to do that, yeah, but we did it. It felt very um, personal. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rick Smiths uh, had a huge game, man, and he really led the charge here for the Pacers in game one. 27 points, 10 rebounds, a block, um, only played 27 minutes um, because of foul trouble. Yeah, foul trouble, But, yeah. like, he was a real monster. He really gave the Knicks difficulty, and... Um, you know, Dale Davis played 38 minutes, 11 points, 10 rebounds, four steals. Uh, let's see what Antonio did. Antonio, eight points, eight points, seven rebounds, a steal. Um, they were just they they were really hard. They were they really gave the Knicks fits. But the yep. the Dale Dale with five offensive rebounds, Antonio with three offensive rebounds. Yeah, yeah. but that's what they did. The, yeah. the story of the game for the Knicks, I think, was Ewing and Oakley. Uh, Ewing, like you mentioned, Ewing, 28 points, 11 rebounds, an astounding six blocks. Uh, Two steals, six blocks, Chris? Four assists. Yeah, that's 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 a big boy Ewing over here. Yeah. One more for you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, played played forty minutes. Um, also shot six of six from the free throw line. And then Oakley um, doing all the little things: twenty points, thirteen rebounds, a steal. Um, you know, just just really solid stuff. And then yeah. for me, man, um, you know the uh, the Budweiser player of the game, of course, was Patrick Ewing with his you know great statistical line. But I can't say enough about. Greg Anthony. I mean, like, yeah. make no mistake, Greg Anthony was playing through pain. He changed the game on the defensive end. He sunk some big threes. He got he got hurt. He played through it. Um, he yeah, changed, 16 points. He changed the game with his perimeter defense. And uh, how many steals did he have? Three? 
He had three steals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So great. 16 points, three of seven from three, three of four from the line. Great game by him. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, just one more thing about Oakley, as usual, had more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds. Seven on the offensive boards, six on the defensive. Wow. Um, yeah, also a steal, um, 20 points on, uh, on eight of 15 shooting. Um, Prolific. Yeah. Prolific. Prolific. Pretty pretty good pretty good way to kick off the series, folks. All right, man. This was uh, a lot of fun, Ben. Uh, game one is in the books. We are on to game two of the Knicks Pacers Eastern Conference Finals here in 1994. Um, looking forward to a very fun, suspenseful series with you, man. As we uh, as we dig up some uh, old memories here and. Uh, Thanks for talking, and uh, I'll talk to you, check in with you uh, next week. Yeah, man. Yeah, just to give a little heads up to our to our listeners, I'm uh, I'm pretty sure at this point now, our our uh, previous series against the Bulls, we went back and looked at four of the seven games, um, and you know we were trying to figure out exactly what our what our our process would be for for this round. You know, if we would uh, pick only you know the really famous games, if we would do like a game one, game seven thing, or something like that. I think we both decided, um, almost independently of each other, Chris, that uh, we're going to have to just go through all these games, aren't we? Yeah, it's we? happening. It's yeah. happening. It's yeah, happening. I think it is. Yeah, I think the only way to <laughs> fully experience the emotional journey that, we, uh, that we're really looking for here is to uh, just hit them all. So I don't know if we're going to do, you know... Uh, a, a full podcast for every single game. Right. Maybe we can squeeze a couple, uh, you know, double headers in. Sure. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, we'll figure it out. Or, or you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, but yeah, just to let everyone know, uh, you are going to be in this one for the long haul. Yeah, buckle up, folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, man. This is a lot of fun. I will talk to you in a little bit. See you. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. My name is Chris Wendelkin. This is on the line. You can tweet at us at on the line underscore pod. Find us on Instagram. Check out previous episodes on our website onthelinepodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show in Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever the hell you get podcasts. Have a great week. Continue to stay inside. Please be safe. Uh, Hope you and your loved ones are happy, healthy, and safe. And I will talk to you next week. 